1: So when I talk about creativity in the fashion industry, it's not just so much that like the way the clothes are thought or made, but it's also the ways in which sustainability can be thought of all along this way.
2: Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. So I'm excited to speak with my good friend, Géraldine Blanche. Géraldine is completing her PhD in intellectual property law at the Sciences Po Law School in Paris. She was formerly an associate researcher at the Bibliothèque Nationale de France. Her research focuses on intellectual property strategies in the fashion industry. Géraldine holds a double matrice degree in French and common law and a master's degree in comparative law from the university. Université Paris 10? <laughs> yes. <laughs> She also holds an LLM postgraduate law degree in intellectual property law from the George Washington University Law School. Geraldine has practiced law for international law firms in Luxembourg, Paris, focusing on commercial and intellectual property disputes and advising fashion industry clients and lectures on fashion law and management, intellectual property law and fashion theory at Sciences Po and Parsons. Geraldine, thank you for making the time. Welcome to Politicology.
1: Thank you, Ron. Bonjour.
2: Now talk about fashion in politics. Uh, So when we look at political candidates, right, there's a lot of attention paid to what they wear and how they're dressed. In 2018 and 2020, uh, Beto O'Rourke famously had the jeans and a blue button-down shirt with the rolled-up sleeves that was intended to signal, he's here to work, right? I've got my sleeves rolled up. In 2016, Hillary Clinton's pantsuits got a lot of attention, um, good and bad, can you talk about the way politicians and candidates try to communicate through what they wear?
1: So, it's a language. It's a form of communication. You need to understand how people are going to react to it or what they're looking for. It's I mean, it's basic communication. I'm not a communication specialist, but I would figure you need to figure out what your audience is looking for and then translate that into um into attire and in, in what, what, so the rolled up sleeves, for example, is yeah. like, literally there's, there's the question of rolling up your sleeves to work, uh, showing your muscles and your forearms yeah. and showing like, you're, you're pulling up your sleeves because you want to put your hands in, uh, in the mess and figure it out. And you know, um, the it's, and it's interesting because a lot of people, oh, what was that show? Madam Secretary? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, 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 One of the very first episodes. It's very
2: formulaic. It's good, but it's yeah, very formulaic, nah. yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, which is why I got bored with it. But like one of the first episodes I remember watching, um, she is, I think she's an academic yeah. initially, and then she's chosen as Secretary of State, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and who plays it? Uh, Tia Leone? Tia Leone, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And uh, there's, a, there's a mishap or there's a form of like something something she did wrong or like, so she wants to sh- like shift attention. And so because she's a woman, she has um, someone come in and like revamp her style yeah, completely. Right. And so all of a sudden all the press is going like, ooh, and she's like had a makeover. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. She has the makeover. And so, you know, it's the pretty woman moment of like the makeover, the changing, the like the, the, Out of the chrysalid pops up, you know, the butterfly, and all of a sudden she draws away attention by what she's wearing and by what designer she's wearing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's politics because it is one form. If you're a political strategist, you're going to use whatever form of communication you can. Yeah. And that is part of the toolbox.
2: Well, one of the things we spend so much time talking about in 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 political strategy and campaigns is the message. Messaging, how are we going to communicate to these voters? Uh, 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 and we, we, we often talk about the imagery we'll use in ads. The copy is always yes. incredibly important. But I think um, something that often gets overlooked is, um, well, unless you have a really good image consultant, right? Which sometimes, mm. you know, it, but... Um, is the message that the nonverbal communication sends right
1: exactly because it's subtle, yeah, because it's all it's almost subliminal yeah. <laughs> in a way. um, it's because we are we are creatures, um we are social creatures. so we place ourselves in society in w- knowing what the codes of our society are what is a cons- what constitutes conservatism what constitutes liberalism and so we have we kind of stick to these labels different um different forms of expression. So it could be, I don't know, it could be music. Yeah. Music is a form of communication. What type of music are you listening to um, says something about you? Yeah. Um, not just about your taste, but also maybe where you grew up, what your politics may be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I think fashion is, is fascinating because it is a lot more subtle than we, th- well, it's, it's integrated in a very more subtle way. So you might think that in politics, everyone has a button-down shirt, yeah. but it's not just the button-down shirt, it's what they wear it with, yeah. how they wear it with. Is it tailored? Is it frumpy? Is it I don't care? Or is it I really pay strong attention to it? And sometimes I think even a hairstyle, look at Boris Johnson and his hair. Look at the tan suit
2: that Obama look at wore. The, tan right? the suit, scandal. Right? The
1: scandal around, it was. Exactly. It was.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it is a narrative. So, if you're thinking, a, you know, a political strategist might think, "Yeah, okay, we'll have a you know a fashion consultant do yeah. this or that, or we'll choose the color of the tie. Should it be this or should it be like?" Think of a presidential debate in the U.S. Yeah. I'm always like curious to see what tie they're going to choose. How, what color is tie it, is, gonna is it going to yeah. be? Red? Is it going to be blue? Like,
2: <laughs> you know, because it's uh, yeah. going to be one of those two. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's uh, let's move to iteration and interpretation and inspiration. So like a lot of creative enterprises, fashion develops over time, as you mentioned. Going back to that street clip again, a designer uses a color for gowns that inspires another designer to use it for a jacket that filters down to the clearance sweater. Can you talk about how the creative process plays out over time and how it can bounce from one creative to another?
1: Um. That is a hard question. And this is definitely
2: going to take us into the future of creativity. Yeah.
1: um, It's a very hard question because the first answer I would give you is that, and I mentioned this already, creativity is specific to every every creative. Yeah. They have their own means of expression, et cetera. So the trickle down effect that i was talking about was historically true it's a lot less the case now you've got the trickle then in in second part of the 20th century you started having the trickle up where you mm. started and now it's everywhere like all the high, like high end luxury houses have sneakers and streetwear all of a sudden you had like you know what was supposedly considered the the bottom rung of culture that all of a sudden went seeped up yeah. Um, and now you have this question of the trickle across. Hmm. Um, so now it's kind of all over the place, not just trickle down, this trickle up, yeah. it's trickle across, it's et cetera.
2: It's networked.
1: It's networked. Um, so when it comes to the bouncing off of creativity, the question isn't so much, well, let's put it this way. The issue that I have kind of, n- that i've that the knot that i'm currently thinking a lot about and working with is um where does it come from and what tools are creatives relying on in their mm. creative process because it's not just I, I mean most of my students aren't um it's not the i don't know the Christian Dior in the 1950s or the Yves Saint Laurent whatever they're not just like got a pen and paper and like drawing like crazy. Yeah. Some of them are, but a lot of them function with like mood boards and, mm. you know, and in the industry, you've got a really important um, part of the business um, and act really important actors, which are forecasters mm. because you've got a huge industry of fashion forecasting. Yeah. Um, and these are, it must be a fascinating job. These forecasters, they look at um, politics, um, art, culture, and, um, And they kind of like seep all that information in on our society and then kind of like aggregate that into what the trends are going to be based on these political, cultural trends or what movies are coming right. out, what's trending, right? Yeah. Forecasting is, it's trend forecasting. But
2: not just trend, but, but then you have to go develop that stuff and it's not going to come out for another nine months and you have to know what's Ex- going to be trending in nine months. Yeah,
1: but that that is the thing. So that is exactly forecasting. But the thing is because collections are, okay, a, a high street brand like Zara, for mm-hmm. example, they have over 17, 18 collections a year. Um, so wow. yeah, so you can imagine that their creative process <laughs> isn't, they, <laughs> you don't have, you don't have one person right. who is allowed to work on just one collection or right. two collections a year. Right. They have to constantly be churning stuff out. So when you have to constantly churn stuff out, it's in <laughs> like, humanly, it's not possible, um, to, to. I mean, it's rare, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, if you do, then you're going to reach a point where you're going to burn out um, or it's going to be less original. Right. So you're going to take shortcuts.
2: Right.
1: So what are shortcuts? It's copying and fast, fashion. and fast fashion. But this is the thing is that it's it goes back to the question of time and the question of time and creativity. So that's what I was talking about when I was talking about that knot yeah. that I'm, I'm trying to, See, and I'm trying to see how the law can maybe untangle this yeah. or find a solution. Yeah. Is the question of the cre- the time of creativity, and I think there is something to be said with allowing for time. Yeah, um, and I, we talked about this, but yeah. I like to draw the parallel with democracy, right. like. Democracy requires time. It requires listening to others, listening and having other people listen to you and finding a common ground and a middle ground. Like there needs to be, as human beings, we need time to process. We need. We we are not algorithms. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, and, And so in this question of time and the creative process, you've got shortcuts, you've got copying. Now, let's be clear. There has always been copying. Sure right? I'm um, currently writing uh, a chapter and it's 19th century, early 19th century copying. And there was already counterfeiting at that point, And, you know, so it's not new, um, but it has an impact on the economy and yeah. on the system. Yeah. The thing is one of the solutions that people found for a very long time is like, well, if we get copied, then we just have to produce something new. Hmm. And that, because it inevitably will get copied, but right. that has just, Made the time it's just machine sped up. Sped right? up. everything up, and it's already up. so fast. Yeah, um, there is a famous uh, designer called Azedine Alaya who um, passed away now, but he retired. Um, um, at one point, he retired and like, he gave this big interview in, in a French paper, and he said, "I'm retiring because I have no more time for creativity. The Ooh. business aspects of it doesn't allow me to travel to think." to read yeah. to, I have to churn out how many collections for my business to be viable. I'm burnt out. Yeah. I can't anymore. I can't follow Peep Some people may be able to do it. Maybe younger people are able to do it, but I can't. So I'm stopping now because I feel my creativity is getting dried up. Wow. And I think that's, so there are two shortcuts that the fashion industry takes. Yeah. There's either the, um, fast fashion copying. Yeah. Et cetera. There's also, um, A trend that I find very interesting, particularly for luxury houses, is that they have now built over like in the past 10 years, huge departments, historical archives, archive departments, Mm. archival departments, where they have historians. They, They actually employ historians and the historians will go on eBay or whatever and find like documents and old photographs or old like drawings of like the Dior and the Chanel's and the whatever. And they have, they build up this huge library of archives. And so they will have their young creatives. They will say, well, we'll give you access to the archives, find in the archives something that, that is a code of the fashion brand and then kind of mix it with something a bit modern maybe, or so it's updated. It's an updated, right. Um, But that's interesting because how original is it? Yeah. Right. You're just recycling something that's already been done.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So I'm questioning the future of creativity when it comes to time. Yeah. When it comes to how sustainable is the creative process right now? I was going right to ask
2: now? you what is the Yeah. We should we should we should talk a little bit about the environmental impact yeah. of this of what the fashion industry has become yeah. with the yeah. shortcut taking particularly like that the mass production everybody's i think everybody has a sense of well this really isn't good right that we're wasting much. but i don't think they quite understand the scope the scale of of what the what the fast what fast fashion has done it's unimaginable the environment. and what is yeah. the tension within the industry because it's not like you can just turn that off
1: It's unimaginable, the effect. So people who work on sustainability and fashion, you have to think of sustainability all along the lines in the life of a piece of clothing. So sustainability, think of a t-shirt. First of all, in the way it's produced. So the creative who comes up with a t-shirt how sustainable is their creative process? Meaning, are they churning stuff out and they're getting burnt out? But then there's also the person who's going to make the T-shirt. So maybe somewhere in Southeast Asia. Um, how much are they paid? How many hours are they, you know, sitting at a table or at a sewing machine? Um, how much are they getting paid? So you've got the question of sustainability in terms of labor and in right. terms of like, so this is human sustainability, right? Right, right physical um, but then you have the number of t-shirts that are made yeah. um, the sheer amount of t-shirts because you are going to have a huge retail and you want to sell that all over the world and you want to have how many sizes and now things have to be very inclusive so you have to have all mm. types of sizes right um, so you overproduce And because it's cheaper to produce in bigger volumes. And that's how, if you are a manufacturer, you negotiate with a retail giant, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're going to ask for bigger volumes because the bigger, the volume, the cheaper it is per article of clothing. Um, and then you have the question of sustainability in the transport. Yeah. And what happens when you've got the pandemic and all of a sudden transport and liability of transport, and it doesn't get out of the Harbor and whatever. And then you have, you know, the Western big retail giant that goes to the manufacturer. Actually, no, Um, I'm denouncing our contract Ah. and you're supposed to be, you know, you're liable because you didn't, I didn't get shipped in time, even though, you know, and so the t-shirts for you, I don't care. I don't want them. Um, so you have a lot of issues like that. You have, you know, David Goliath situations like that. Um, and then imagine if your t-shirts does get, get, does get distributed, how long is it in fashion for? And then how long before people get rid of it? Um, how long does it physically last in someone's cupboard? And then where does it go if they don't want it anymore? Is it donated? Is it thrown away in a landfill? Um,
2: and the raw materials and the
1: raw materials. And so a lot of people think, oh, it's great. You know, I'm going to donate my clothing. Hmm. I did a lot of research, particularly, well, France and the donation system, you think that you're doing a good deed and that you it's going to go on the, on the back of someone who needs the T-shirt, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
2: Um,
1: because we have an overproduction and an over consumption, Because
2: make, Do we make too many clothes? We,
1: of course we make too many <laughs> clothes. We make way too many clothes. But because so, many, uh, so, so much part of the economy relies on this, we just keep churning. And so you have all the unsold First of all, you have the unsold garments that are burnt. Um, H&M got into a huge, uh, yeah. It,
2: oh, wow. Yeah.
1: They incinerate so much of their unsold stock. So, you know, pollution. Oh, my God. But then what I found fascinating is I did a little bit of research on the, on, for example, a T-shirt, right? That And someone donates it. Because we have too many clothes, even if you give it to, say, for example, the Red Cross, they receive donations of clothes what the Red Cross does is that they have too many clothes. Hmm. So what they do is that they sell the clothes back per bulk, per this many euros, per, you know, many kilos. Yeah, They sell them to other wholesalers who usually are located um, on the African continent who buy basically... Buy the kilo. Buy the kilo, the unwanted, i.e., you could call it, trash yeah. um, that they send then to Africa and then they themselves try to recycle what's good what's not good so some of it might be beautifully recycled and go into I don't know isolation materials for new houses or whatever that is um, like the minimal part of it yeah. most of it ends up in um, markets um, in Africa that is sold for very little so you might say but that's good that's recycling yes but that also means that the African continent is overflowing yeah. with Western unwanted clothes. So basically, our trash, yeah. let's put it that way. Yeah. And it means that when you talk about creativity, and and culture in Africa, they are overtaken by you know the cheap. How do they express their own culture? How many how much creativity can there be when there's an overflow of of um of, of the remnants uh, exactly. of the
2: Western of world of the Western
1: world? And it works with plastic. It's exactly the same with plastic. Um and so a lot so a lot of these brands are saying, Oh, we're super good, we're super good with the environment. Bring, our clothes, bring your clothes back to us and we'll give you a gift certificate, right? But they're giving you a gift certificate, but they are selling back these clothes to other people. So they're making a profit out of it too. It's a new business model. Um, but at the end of the day, there's one issue. The t-shirt remains. Yeah. How long does it take for a t-shirt- To decompose. To decompose. I don't
2: know.
1: And where does it end? In a landfill somewhere. So it's a never ending <sighs> problem. And- so when I talk about creativity in the fashion yeah. industry, yeah. it's not just so much the that like the way the clothes are thought or made, mm-hmm. but it's also the creative process and creativity in fashion, which I think needs to be fostered, can law help to do this, is the ways in which sustainability can be thought of all along this way. Yeah. Like I wish there was some kind of like hackathon or like some kind of like, whatever thon of like
2: yeah. <laughs> finding
1: solutions yeah. for the fashion industry all along the line.
2: Can sustainability become profitable?
1: I don't have the answer mm. and it should. That is how things are going to change because fashion is here to stay. We always want, whether we like, as we said, whether we like yeah. it or not, right. we're always going to wear something. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Because whether we like it or not, fashion is also functional. It protects us from the cold, from yeah. the heat, from et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Or it can also be, you know, um, religious or but so we're always gonna have some form of attire of clothing.
2: Yeah. Um so it's a lot more deep than uh than you would otherwise. No, if you're just casually shopping for it's not frivolous you know, cheapish clothes it's not or frivolous. Yeah, no.
1: fashion is not frivolous. there's a huge impact as yeah. a consumer, yeah oh so much impact in that choice that you make in what you pay for.
2: are there some shorthand um rules or takeaways or some, if, you know a couple of little mm-hmm. nuggets that people could you know tuck away in their mind the next time they go shopping
1: It's very difficult because. You, everything that I've talked about, from the transport to the production to the creative yeah. process, whatever, nothing is perfect.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, As a, f- a
2: consumer, you really have no control no. over that.
1: A few things, though. Um, one of the things that, well, that I try to implement myself, and I am by no means perfect. Um, first of all, if there are certain countries where, if I find in a high street store, I find something at a specific very cheap price. Um, but once again, I think we've been so jarred by like, what does it really actually cost to make a white t-shirt in a sustainable manner? How much does it cost? Uh I have no idea. And it's not, and believe me, it's not a $2, (laughs) it's not $2 (laughs) for a t-shirt. It's way more than that. Anyways, um, if I find things at a certain very low price that for example, has beading on it, um, and it comes from certain Southeast Asia countries if there's beading on it you're practically certain that somewhere along the line a kid made that oh wow because um
2: because their hands are small because their
1: hands are small and nimble and they can they can bead much faster if, like there's an embroidery much faster um wow that's yeah okay. that's something that that really struck me a few years ago so um that's for sure generally speaking i mean the, the perfect solution. trying to
2: buy fewer clothes that last yeah, longer yes, and, you know, Yes, of course, well and better quality. Made.
1: How, yeah. like, think about, um, first of all, mending your own clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like, how, you, you know, the old image of like women darning the socks. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Like, how many of you can actually- Sew a button sew back a button, on. Sew a button back on. Yeah. Um, sewing a button back on or- making something last a longer, like a longer period of time. Patching your jeans. Patching your jeans. Um, And I think there's, there is starting to be a whole economy of like patching up. Yeah. Um, At least there is in France. Um, And I have a lot of students. It's fashionable. Yeah. And it can be very fashionable. Secondhand is starting to be fashionable.
2: Right.
1: Um, Which leads to its own IP issues. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you've got a protection on a design or a logo. Yeah. Um, what happens if someone sell sells on a secondhand um, platform, um, internet platform, um, they sell – they're kind of like they are samplers. It's the problem of sampling and intellectual property. Yeah. You've probably heard of the new yep. Beyonce album and the question of sampling. She's in the, a lot you know, of trouble. She's in a lot of trouble. It's exactly the same thing. What if I am a, a designer and I – promote sustainability. So I go to thrift stores and I buy old clothes and I take bits and pieces of different things and make it into a new piece of clothing. What happens if I take a piece of clothing that has, I don't know, the Burberry, um, a classic, you know, check yeah. pattern, you know, yeah. um, and, and I, and I put that on a piece of clothing and it identifies Burberry. Am yeah. I, is it a trademark infringement? Am yeah. I infringing on Burberry? because it's not a piece of clothing from Burberry, it's mine. Am I allowed to use that or not? Um,
2: Is it fair use? Fair
1: use. (laughs) Um, And and it's a problem that a lot of the luxury industry is currently facing because at the same time, you have a whole niche of new designers and new creatives who are like, we want to be more sustainable. We want to put our spin on something. Mm. So if they start banging and and like suing these young creatives saying you're infringing upon our rights Ooh. um then they also kind of look bad in a communication yeah. point of view yeah. like you were stopping people who have yeah. you know a, a, a good ethical who are manner who're trying to do something on it
2: yeah right
1: Ooh, but, okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right. Let's. Uh, let's. I was going to ask you about the impact of you know counterfeiting. So we, we went with there naturally, but I want to talk about um, fashion and AI mm-hmm. and the future of creativity, the way you think about it. A couple of months ago, I uh, spoke with Nina Schick about deep fakes, um, which are AI generated videos, and one of the concerns she talked about was AI generated music. Um, because AI can replicate music from a recording artist or mimic an artist 's voice now uh, to the point where it's it's it 's indistinguishable from 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 an authentic uh, vocal pattern so how are you thinking about the future threats to intellectual property rights and fashion when a computer can mimic or design a pattern? we were talking earlier about the 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 Rembrandt painting maybe you can use that as an Example. um,
1: I, I love so it's not fashion related, but it has to do with intellectual property and the future of intellectual property. So, um, it's the question of specifically copyright and the author. um, and uh, if a computer comes up with a work of art, then who owns the copyright? Yeah, um, and this was as i was like, I think it was in two thousand. I can't remember when it was, like maybe six, seven years ago. There was a, um, it was in Netherlands Netherlands, and there was some bank, I think it was ING, who, um, and they're like an online bank. And so their whole communication was like, you know, using online and internet and future technology, whatever, we're going to use AI. And they financed this whole research project about, could we create a new Rembrandt? and so they put and the idea was to use ai to delve even deeper into rembrandt and his work and his creative process and his methodology um which as a researcher is fantastic right to start getting all these answers and so they used ai and they scanned every work of rembrandt so not and they came up with what would be the typical Rembrandt painting. So not just the subject. So they analyzed all of Rembrandt's painting and all the subjects. And so they threw all of AI and the AI came up with, it has to be um, the face and the image of a man approximately 35 to 40 years old uh, and has to wear a white collar and this and that and the other. So they had a kind of like a subject. And mm-hmm. then they also studied Um, The relief of every single painting of Rembrandt. So his brushstrokes, how he added paint on top to, you know, for light and for for shadow and like all this. So it wasn't just the subject. It was actually the physical aspect of like the painting, right? the the 3d painting and with that they created they put it through a 3d printer and with it's not a digital image no it's not a digital image so it was through through a 3d printer they really created a a perfect rembrandt painting using the type of brushstrokes he would have used everything with like it's it's fascinating i'll if you're interested i might send you the clip of like the and yeah we
2: can link to it Yeah, yeah
1: yeah link to it um and so it was fascinating. So all of a sudden, you had a new Rembrandt, and you see the image at the end, and they, you know, they unveil it, and you're like, "Wow, that's cool! <laughs> that's amazing!" Yeah, but it's not signed by Rembrandt. No, it's Who, not a Rembrandt. Who's the but author? But it is. Who's the author? Um, so intellectual property law will tell you, well, it's the person who's behind the algorithm, behind the coding. That goes into it, that the author of the code, computer programs are protected by copyright. So it's a bunch of ones and zeros. It's considered a language that's protected like any other form of language, whether it's music on a music sh- on a sheet of music or words um, on a page. Um, and so that's the author. But the question with the future of creative So that was just one example, which was great because it asked, I used it as a case study um, in some of, my, some of my classes. Another case that I like to, to sometimes come up with is the, the grinning, uh, the grinning um, monkey. I don't know the, the famous case of, there's a photographer, wildlife photographer, and he was, I can't remember where, and he was uh, like shooting all these um, uh, photos of, all, of of a specific type of monkey. And all of a sudden, one of the monkeys took his camera ah. and literally made a selfie.
2: Oh, that's right. I right? think I do remember, remember that? This? Yeah.
1: Um, and so, and then because of social media, because his photo and like the monkey is having, has such a fantastic, massive grin on his yeah. face. Yeah. Um, it's just a brilliant photo and it's perfectly framed, you name it. And so the thing is a lot of people use that photo and he uh, claimed copyright over it saying like all these people are using this photo and I'm not getting any yeah. fina- like financial benefit this out is, of this. This, this, is, is, my this is my photo. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, no, it's not your photo. It's the monkey's photo. <laughs> Um, but can a monkey be an author right. in law? Um, and I think it was WWF, uh, who, uh, was a party to the case and said, well, actually uh, this was a perfect case to, you know, to forward totally. animal rights yeah. because all of a sudden can an animal hold property? Like you're, you're coming to really almost philosophical yeah. questions around it. Right. So that's a, that's a brilliant case. Um. But coming back to AI, there's the question oh, what of... What was
2: the outcome? Do you remember? Do you um,
1: yes. Uh, he he lost... Oh, God, actually, you know, okay. <laughs> I think that there were a couple, like it went it appealed and et cetera. But ultimately, I remember the photographer and this is an interesting thing in law is that he ultimately lost way more money actually Uh, suing. And so, and so he lost on like, because he didn't make any money out of it and it even cost him more in like like fees. But I thought, I I remember it because it really brings up to the light of like, who is an author who can be an author. Right. Which is now where we are. Exactly. Can a machine be an author? Can an algorithm be an author? Of course an algorithm cannot be an author. But the thing is sometimes the algorithm by nature evolves by itself. Right. So it's not necessarily the person who created it in the first place. Yeah. The algorithm has changed since then. Yeah.
2: A person may write the initial set of rules for the algorithm, but if the algorithm is learning on its own, those rules are changing autonomously.
1: Exactly. And that is a huge, fascinating, but very problematic issue. So coming back to fashion, um, you know, I talked about trend forecasting and I talked, so a lot of the trend forecasting now uses AI for mood boards. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you'll have, and and think about it, even if most of my students, for example, they'll use like, they're on social media all the time. So they'll like screenshot and add to like, they have amazing apps to do these mood boards and to get inspired, et cetera. So first of all, they're getting inspired by things that are very often not in the Mm -hmm. public domain, but who cares? There's so much content that we don't know what's public or private and we don't care anymore. So that I have an issue with. So I need to, you know, recentralize that and like focus with them saying reminding them there is private property and there's public property. Yeah. Um, but once again, it's not because there are IP rights that people don't yeah. copy illegally. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and then the 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 other issue is where like if you don't know where creativity comes from, like how do you determine you don't know the source. Right. So you don't know who's the one putting in a creative process so how do you determine if there's a property to begin with um and social media has really blurred all that now a couple of years ago when i was a practitioner i i had a job of like going through the terms and conditions and this was like way before social media blew up <laughs> but the terms and content terms and con- conditions of a a big what is now a big social media uh, company. And I had to read their terms and conditions. Um, I was working at the time in Luxembourg for Luxembourgish law to see if it was, you know, and so for the first time in my life, I wasn't pressing on, I agree. (laughs) I was actually being the lawyer and reading like (laughs) print and email,
2: email this to me.
1: (laughs) And I was, and I read all the terms and conditions and it was for a music service platform. And I remember, I like I was it was just scary to me as a lawyer how much I was actually handing over by clicking. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when it comes to intellectual property for platform, social media platforms that have what is now called content, which is a word that drives me up the wall. Um, you know, the TikToks and the Instagrams and the whatnots and the metas and the, um, you transfer so much of your rights to them without yeah. knowing that yeah. you do, that they they have so much use over your, once again, content. Yeah. Um, and it has an impact on the creative system. Because on the one hand, you have an overflow of information that you can get your creativity from. So it seems like it's this big free bucket of stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Um, but it's never entirely free because a lot of that stuff actually – belongs initially someone, but then it's transferred over to you're paying with your data. Yeah.
2: Yeah, You're paying for all that
1: stuff. Well, you know that if it's free, you're, you're, you're You're the the product, product. right? That's
2: right. Um,
1: so I ask my students to really think about their creative process, but how else are they going to right now be able to churn out a creative, like creativity without having access to social, they need it. Yeah. Um, and so coming back to AI, um AI now is the only thing I think that's capable over years and years and years to trend forecast and to foresee what people are going to want to buy.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's it's the only thing that the only tool that allows you to do that 16 times a year. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. So what and is Now this?
2: the AI is not now the AI is not anymore just um predicting what's no. going to be popular but it's now also Creating what is yeah what the the, the material itself yeah, exactly yeah
1: so it's not just predicting it's right. telling
2: it's yeah right um, which is and, exactly what the sorry as a detour this is exactly what the conversation is around Facebook's intellectual property its own algorithm and whether or not yeah. that should be made a little bit more transparent or you know to what ex- the Facebook the Facebook people themselves don't even know no, what's going on not. in the algorithm because it's teaching not. itself exactly now. exactly it's, anyways yeah
1: yes. Which begs the question of how, where is it going to take us? Like like, thinking, and we're not thinking like on a long-term of like a decade. We're thinking on the long-term, at least in fashion, of two years, three years, right? right? Yeah. Um, So what are the solutions? And you've got to reconcile this also with the fact that the, production system and everything like it is it's is just too fast producing too much pollution producing you know yeah um but you can't do away with it yeah and you can't just say stop the fashion industry doesn't exist anymore look right. at the weight it has economically yeah. speaking right um even millions for millions co- of people depend million, on the industry for course. their jobs right and even think of, i mean and i'm just thinking at the in france yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> our yeah. exports yeah if you no, no more no more you know, production or whatever. So um, interestingly enough, uh, not long ago, the uh, French government, so the French government has been passing a couple of laws that deal with sustainability. Um, And the first one had to do with food waste, and how supermarkets, uh, when, you know, the past date of like, I don't know, yogurt or whatever, it still actually has a, a shelf life. Yeah. And so nothing should be wasted. Nothing should be. So restaurants, what they don't sell has to be uh, given to, uh, I don't know, charities or whatever. So there's this whole, uh, this, this whole law about food waste. And then the government said, well, the next level is going to be fashion. Um, Because we need to, you know, country of fashion, let's give a good example, et cetera. So President Macron kind of, uh, I think it was a G8 meeting, um, like before the pandemic. And so they had a big round table. He kind of asked like some of the big actors in the fashion industry to get around a table and start thinking. Um, And then there's a law on uh, anti-waste law that was passed that supposedly the fashion industry has to align with. So they have they have an, a, a specific timeline by which all this has to be implemented. But it's not easy, once again, for intellectual property reasons, for example, um, you're not allowed to waste anything. So what happens if you do a prototype? Say you're in a big luxury yeah. fashion house, right. and you are super, you spend time and you actually put creativity to come up with, I don't know, a new bag that's different, new shape, original, blah, 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 for the future collection. Um, what happens if ultimately the head of like the artistic director goes like, no, you know, that prototype, we're not going to use it. Right. That prototype is full of intellectual property, of creativity. You don't want a competitor to get the hands no. on that shape or, you know. So, but the thing is the law on waste says you're not allowed to destroy it because you're wasting leather and you're destroying leather. You are not allowed to destroy, to burn because it's environmentally unfriendly scraps and waste. Everything okay. has to be recycled to the max. Specifically if you have a full bag. So okay. what are you going to do? Are you going to rip off the name and sell it as a, you know, a prototype like mm. you don't want to do that because it's your creativity that right. is walking out the door. So they have to find new ways of recycling, of saying, "Okay, well, should we put the put it the in the banner? vault?
2: Save it for next season? I don't know. Yeah,
1: save it. <laughs> yeah. But then, how much are you saving, and how much yeah. space is that taking? Right, 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 and right. you know, yeah. And so that requires that in the creative process, nothing should be wasted, and that is Oof. not how things that's have been not done. how creativity works. No. Oh my God! <laughs> it's so yeah, complex. very complex. Very different layers.
2: okay before we wrap up is there is there anything we haven't touched on yet yeah. that you think would be
1: probably really I mean there's so, yeah, much, so yeah, much yeah it feels like we've, um, we've tugged
2: on a lot of threads here
1: I think the the last thing that maybe I want to talk a little bit more about is the question of time um I, I mean I've touched yeah. on it a few times but I want really people to think Think of I talk to my students about this all the time. How long does it take you to create something that you feel is uniquely original and uniquely mm. you and your expression of your creativity? Yeah. How long does that take you? Um because I think there's a lot of value in that. Like it's a question of your own value. Now, Some students may tell me, well, actually, you know, some of the best things that I'd done, I did kind of like overnight, (laughs) like, you know, a singer songwriter who might say, well, all of a sudden, yeah, I was in a bath and then boom, the song and the lyrics came out and then I just wrote them and that was it. Right. Yeah.
2: That's very, very unusual.
1: It's very unusual. Um, Did you ever see the movie Yesterday? Do you remember that movie? Oh, um, about in a world where all of a sudden from overnight, the Beatles never existed. Oh, you have to watch that oh, movie. Oh, no. wow. Um, it's, a, it's a great British comedy. And all of a sudden, the Beatles never existed. Wow. And this guy, he remembers the Beatles. And so he's a failing oh, singer-songwriter. I, I, I saw the trailer
2: for this. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would
1: recommend watching okay. it. It's a, it's a good watch. Okay. Um, and one of the interesting things is that he has a kind of and Ed Sheeran plays in it yeah. and Ed Sheeran, you know, positions himself as like the best singer songwriter right. of his age. And he just like and,
2: rewrites all the original Beatles songs. And, yeah, exactly. And he yeah. comes
1: up with like, like, okay, let's have a, at one point they have a creative battle yeah. and he was like, okay, you know, in half an hour, we'll see who comes up with the best song. Yeah. And I can't remember. And so <laughs> the guy pulls out, I can't remember which Beatles head it is <laughs> yeah. in like 20 minutes or whatever. And Ed Sheeran goes like, Oh yeah, no, I, you win. Um, and so there's I found it fascinating because the question of that time of creativity, but even if you do create something like in 10 minutes, it doesn't, it hasn't taken you 10 minutes. It's taken you your entire life until Mm -hmm. then. And 10 minutes, like I tell my students, like, you know, that your value, like right now you're, you're, you're paying for your education. That is you're putting it you're putting money into your creativity. And like, it's not just the time of the creation. It's everything that has percolated that has taken you to that time where all of a sudden the planets have aligned and you produce something at that time, something triggered you at that time to create it. Um, How long does that take you? And I think that we are because of social media and because of the fact that we're not talking about art anymore. We're talking about content art. And I said this before serves the purpose of, It's only there as a means to serve an algorithm now. The algorithm isn't serving the work. It's the opposite, right? Um, And it has an impact on the time of creativity. Yeah. We don't really care about the quality of something anymore. Yeah. I'm generalizing, but...
2: We care more about the price. Most people care most about...
1: The branding.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? The number of followers is something... Like if someone wants to... Uh, what is the safest bet for a company? Yeah, it's probably to find an influencer that has a lot of followings. Because what's get, what you need are is the most the, the more eyeballs, the most number of eyeballs, the most number of like you need yeah. the biggest potential yeah. you know coverage of eyeballs and attention. Yeah.
2: Well, at the public corporation level, it's how can we show the most profits on our next quarterly earnings report? Exactly. Right? That's like yeah, exactly pro- as fast exactly. as possible. Right.
1: Exactly. So you're going to take shortcuts and you're going to. You know, go with things that are heavily branded at a specific time, but that probably ain't gonna, you know, they're not gonna last that long. So I question where we're going with creativity in our world. I'm not saying there isn't creativity, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what form does it take? And I think one of the keys to thinking about it is the question of time. Hmm. Now, time is relative. <laughs> and, you know, um, we talked about this and I, I uh, it's still, you know, it's, it, it's relative and I'm writing a PhD and I've been working five years on it and it has to, I have to finish at one point. Um, so maybe, you know, I'm just preaching for the choir because I feel that my PhD has taken five years to come where it has right now, um, even though my supervisor really wants me to finish. Um, it's, I think it's important. Just just generally as a takeaway time of creativity. And you know, everyone can be creative and whatever yeah. it, because it's a means of expression. But where does the where is the value? I I think there's something to be said about time and the valuing of time.
2: On that note, before I let you go. Yes. Where can everybody find you on the internet? <laughs> <You're dreading.
1: laughs> oh, oh. Can I was, they? I Do you want them to? I was dreading this question. Um, yes. Um, I, can I mention the, yeah, the, you can yeah mention okay, right. You so, I, I was, I read something recently. It's a, uh, he's a YouTuber. He's an Australian YouTuber. He wrote a book called, I think, The Brain is a, it's not a steamboat. Anyways, his name is Campbell Walker. And he just came up with this comic book, which talks about mental health uh, and creativity. Um, And in his introduction, he says something along the lines of, our brains are canaries in a coal mine. Hmm. Um, and that we, we're basically guinea pigs for our descendants and the brains of our descendants to see how much content we can or should be dealing with in our brains. Like how far can we go? How much can our brains take? Um, so we're kind of guinea pigs and we don't know the impact of, of, of social media and content yet we not are the,
2: n- not 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 entirely not entirely yeah. we
1: we get a sense but yeah. i i think it's just the tip of the iceberg yeah and that really hit me um he also talks about a data where like he says a human being in in the year 2000 a year of data produced by a human being in the year 2000 over a year is what a human being will produce in 9 minutes in 2025 <laughs> and I mean, that, it made me very nervous. <laughs> and for some reason, those are the two things that really struck me and made me question. And I, I was feeling I was, I had content overload. Um, and also because I need to write my PhD, I felt I was too distracted. But I i re- it, the, the, the idea of the canary in the coal mine really made me nervous. Um, so I am a on social media a lot less now, <laughs> but I so I'm not on Twitter, <laughs> I will happily uh, share my email with you, and you and anyone who wants to know, I happily. um, But they can find me on Instagram. I go and check it about once a week. I try to open Instagram only once a week now, Um, and it's called my account is called Designed by Law. Um, So you can find me there, and I will respond. (laughs) (laughs) Cheryl
2: Dean. Thank you so much for making
1: it. Thank table. you for having this me. This wonderful. <laughs> Thanks.
2: Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. If you haven't yet, we'd appreciate it if you could open up the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five-star rating and review over there. This helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at